It's good to be together. Can we, hey, can we just have a hand for our band? They're just so good, aren't they? Just so incredible. Two more really cool songs coming this morning. Uh, a Storyliner sent me that video this week, and it was just too cute not to show. And it reminds me so much of my daughter, Jenna, because one of my most cherished memories of my life is playing hide-and-seek with her when she was little. And she loved it, but Jenna was, and frankly, still is, like, super competitive. And so, even at like three, uh, she'd always add this little taunt as I started to count, like, you can't find me, you can't find me, and then go and hide like you see here in this video. So I'd count really loud and, and then announce, of course, ready or not, here I come. And she just loved it. She just loved it. And so, you know, last Sunday we talked about seasons of life um, when we do everything right and all the right things. And yet nothing seems to work. In basketball, um, my basketball players have a, a name for this, you know. They call it being broke. Like, life just isn't working. And we all know what that feels like. Uh, and so we asked this question last week, what does God do when we are broke? And this led, to a, the very, led us to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and the first time that humanity got broke, like something went wrong. We discovered something universal about the human condition. And unfortunately, I discovered it personally as a freshman in high school. Uh, we were actually playing St. Joe. I went to Lakeshore High School. We were playing St. Joe in basketball, huge game, so the biggest game of the year. I'm a freshman, and I'm on the freshman team. So we were playing actually just in the gym down the hall here. And I, I had already done everything wrong and all the wrong things, and so I was on the bench. Um, then we went in for halftime. We came back out for halftime. I'm still on the bench, and then Coach Adler yells down, you know, Gathright, get in the game. And so I stood up, like, determined to turn things around, right? So I get off the bench. I'm walking to the scoring table, and I realized that during halftime, I had put my warm-up pants back on. And so I'm like, I'm going to just, you know, whip these things down, like, you know. And I did. And it worked, except my shorts came down with it. And so, yeah. And so, uh, this, this is not good. So there I was, mooning the St. Joe parent section. All right? That is broke. And uh, I remember it, you guys. I remember it like it was yesterday. And it was 41 years ago that that happened. I know it's hard to believe I was the only five-year-old on the freshman team. But I wanted to disappear. What I really wanted to do was run and hide. That's what we want to do. I, I never wanted to show my face or any other part of myself. Again, when we're broke, our first instinct is to hide. We can pretend. We can try and put on a pretty face. We can push our trinkets and our trophies up in front of us. But we know we're hiding, and we know that's no way to really live. And this is exactly what we see Adam and Eve doing in the Garden of Eden. Literally translated, it's the Garden of God's Presence. Uh, the surprise is, what happens next when Adam and Eve decide to hide from God? Because in the opening pages of the Bible, we already see God's heart of grace. Because when we're broke and when we're hiding, we saw this last week, God comes to meet us. He seeks after us. Now, this is so important for us to take in because if we don't get this part of the story, if we don't understand this part of our story, that God is a God of grace, 
that he loves us at our worst, accepts us as we are, and forgives us before we ask, that we will forever, we will forever be tempted to hide from God when things go wrong, when we're broke. And this is why living by faith in God's grace is so critical to human flourishing. And it's also why I think, believe it or not, the most popular hiding place, the most sophisticated hiding place, is actually religion. So religion, we can define it a couple ways. One way we can look at it is that it's our attempt to earn God's love, to deserve his acceptance, to be worthy, to live in such a way that we're worthy of his forgiveness. We talk about this a lot, actually, but it's because Jesus talked about it a lot. Sometimes he talked about it directly with, like, religious people about their spiritual religion, like he did with a man named Nicodemus. Sometimes he would talk about this indirectly to non-religious people, like a rich young man one time. Another time, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He talked to the rich young man about his riches. He talked to Pontius Pilate about his power, because that was really their religion. So you don't have to be a spiritual person or even believe in God at all to be religious. And I think this is a point that we miss a lot in modern life. Religion, in the sense that we are talking about it, in the sense that Jesus often came after it pretty hard, is any man-made system or plan designed to earn or achieve us the good life that we put our hope in. Like, if we could do that, get that, be that, that will get me the good life, how, however somebody defines it, okay? So it often unfolds like this, right? Something, um, the realities of life, the rigors of life, they confront us. They always do, at, sooner or later. And we get this feeling, like I got when my pants, <laughs> when I was mooning these parents, it's like, I'm alone, you're, you're vulnerable, you're overmatched. Life has come at you in a way, and it's like, I cannot handle this. And so we go into hiding. We know we can't live like that. And so now the question becomes, how do we get back? How do we come out of this? How do we move forward? But we're separated. We're cut off from life. We're cut off from God. And when that happens, humanity's default instinct is some form of religion, some version of it. In other words, we have to do this ourselves. We have to save ourselves. We have to make it on our own, fight our way back, do all the right things, believe all the right things. I mean, it just, it just depends what religion that you're hoping in. And until very recently in human history, that, that struggle was pretty much exclusively about how do we get God on our side? Uh, it's a, in other words, it's a spiritual kind of religion. In our time, however, for more and more people, at least in Western civilization, in Europe, North America, this religious hiding place is not really about a supernatural God. How do we get God back on our side? It's more about how do we get life to work for us? So you could say the God of money or the God of reputation or security, control, achievement, um, the God of having the right friends, or lately it's been a big deal, the God of having the right government and the right laws. Quick, uh, real quick sidebar here. I just, I'm gonna call a quick timeout about this because 
I want to make sure that we understand I'm not seeing the opposite, okay? So I'm not saying that making money or working hard or achieving things, starting a business, pursuing a romantic relationship or being politically or civically involved are bad things. They're not. Those are all good things. The problem isn't the pursuit of them. The problem is the prioritization of them. When we do that, when we prioritize those good things, they become our God things. And, and that can become a very sophisticated hiding place. And again, life is, is what happens is, is life is no longer a gift of God's grace. It's something we have to go out and get and achieve and the pressure's on us. And we have to look right and do right and be right all the time. And we put up these walls we hide behind and other people can only get in if they're doing it the way that we say or vice versa and it's just a mess. So religion, that's the sense in which we're talking about religion. It can be an openly spiritual religion or a more nuanced like worldly pursuit. Either way, it's a way of hiding from God when we feel overmatched or vulnerable or not enough. It's a way of hiding from life when life just presents us with things that we know we can't handle. And in the time of Jesus, actually, both approaches to religion were represented perfectly by the two major groups who lived and, and operated in his time and in his place. You have the spiritually religious Jews and the worldly religious Romans. And that's the world that Jesus came into. These two groups that just personified, I mean, they were just perfect uh, examples of both approaches to religion. And yet, even the Bible, in right going back all the way to Genesis, is presenting a very different picture of life and God and how we live the life that we were made for. One way I think about it, and we've talked about this before in the past, and I briefly mentioned it a few months ago, and every time I do... Um, People, I get a lot of very interesting responses about this analogy, but it works for me, okay? So I'm just going to share it with you. One way to think about this is to imagine God's love and acceptance and forgiveness as rain. Think of it as rain. Jesus showed up in the world proclaiming that because of him, because of his life and his death and his resurrection, the floodgates of heaven are now open and it is raining everywhere on everyone, every day, all the time. That is what God is about now. This is essentially the bottom line of the gospel of grace. Now, who is most threatened by this message? It's religious people. It's the spiritually religious people like the ancient Jews uh, who had a system that, believe it or not, put them on top and in control. And the worldly religious people, like the Romans, who also had another system, another religion, if you will, that put them on top and in control. And this is why they created these systems. Because for them, there's either no God, which is what the Romans essentially thought, or there is no God seeking after them and fighting for them on their side. In either case, life becomes, it devolves into like power, like that, that means 
It's about earning and achieving, accumulating, triangulating, negotiating, and getting all we can. For the religious, life isn't flooded with the grace of God. It is a vast desert, abandoned by God, and it only rains on people who get it right, who follow the right religious system, who do the right rain dance, if you will. The bottom line is spiritually religious people are hoping to control God. Worldly religious people are hoping to control life. And if they can control those things, then they can come out of hiding. The ancient Roman statesman, a famous Roman orator and speaker, his name was Cicero, thousands of years ago, saw through all of this. And he had three words to sum up religion. Do ut des, which is Latin for I give so that you, God, will give. And he goes, that's what religion is. And that's what Jesus opposed. That is religion, spiritual or secular. And it's a way to hide from God, ourselves, and our lives. And then Jesus arrives like this thunderstorm, whether we're ready or not, insisting that the rain dance of savior self-religion is futile, and it's actually shielding us from God. It's like an umbrella that we put up that keeps us dry in God's downpour of grace.
Gosh, I think, look, we all know that on some level, we have had what we had and what we've lost. What we've had and what we've lost. What if it's our efforts to believe the right things and do all the right things, or really maybe a better way to put it is, what if it's really our hope that believing all the right things just the right way, if you're maybe spiritually minded, or doing all the right things just, you know, just so, if you're more worldly oriented, that that will somehow earn us the good life. That will get God on our side. What if it's all that mess that's actually keeping life dry? Like keeping us from enjoying life and soaking in God's grace. It's in this sense that the way of Jesus is not a religion. The way of Jesus is a faith. Okay? It's a way of life that comes from it grows out of a trust in God's goodness for us. A trust in God's goodness for us. In a trust in God's grace. And last week we talked about nurturing the willingness to trust our struggle, and that's what it is, for faith in God's grace. That begins with recognizing that when we're broken hiding, God acts. He doesn't react. He moves 
He isn't removed. God is seeking us. We are not alone, and we are not on our own. The Bible describes it like this. Jesus arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. But God puts his love on the line for us by offering his son in a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. It's crucial for us that we trust that God is good for us. Not because our faith earns God's grace. If that was the case, it wouldn't be grace. Okay? But because our faith is what it's our willingness to accept and enjoy God's grace. Go back to our analogy about God's um, grace being like rain. In, in that case, religion is us hiding from God, like determined to do what we have to do or to think what we think we have to think to make it rain in our hiding place. Religion, then you could put, think of it this way. Religion is a rain dance under an umbrella in a rainstorm. Like we are doing everything we can to get it to rain. It's already raining. Faith is living in a way that we are listening for the God who is seeking us. It's like hearing the thunder of his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And instead of trying to make it rain under our umbrella, faith is putting our umbrella down and dancing in the rain. Without faith, we often miss what God does when we are broke. He doesn't just seek us. He does more than that. And we saw this last week. He actually has something to say. And it's not a lecture. It's not, he doesn't, you know, try to tear us down. He actually asks us some questions. Last week we read in Genesis that God begins with these questions when we are hiding. Where are you? That's the first question that he asks. Now we know that God knows where Adam and Eve are. He's God. He's really saying, what are you doing? You know, I, I, when you do this, I can still see you, right? And this is how it goes in Genesis. He, Adam, the man, answered, I heard you in the garden, was afraid, and I was naked. So I hid. God, and God said, who told you that you were naked? That's the second question. Who told you that? Who told you you weren't good enough? Now, every once in a while, you know, I, a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing. And a lot of things that I say just don't resonate. But something about that resonated last week. Because I heard from a lot of people. Apparently, believing that we aren't good enough is uh, not uncommon. It's good to know that I'm not alone on that. Yet here in the first few pages of the Bible, when the two people who literally had it all, and they, then they mess it all up, they hide from God. God seeks after them. And he says, whoever told you you weren't good enough, it wasn't me. God's saying, I love you because of my goodness, not yours. Don't hide under your religion. I love you because you're mine. What a scene in the opening act of the Bible. God's like, ready or not, here I come, and I'm going to seek you. God is asking us questions designed to 
coax us out of our hiding place and immerse us in his grace, all to prepare us for the enormous challenge and the incredible opportunity that real life, capital L, presents to us when we live it fully out in the open with one another and with God. Last summer, I was watching Wimbledon, and I didn't know this, but the players, just before they walk out of the safety of the locker room, right? Picture that, like, that's their hiding place, like they're safe in there. There's this huge quote engraved on the wall. This is so cool. They just showed it really quickly, and I was like, whoa, what's that? And then I looked it up. I Googled it to try to find it. Um, It's a famous quote from Rudyard Kipling's uh, poem, If. It's the last thing that they see before they enter the arena, before they come out of hiding, and they go into the big bad world, and they're competing for, if you're not careful, what some people will think is the most important thing in the world. And this is what the line says. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. And then you walk out. Coming out of hiding most certainly will expose us to the big bad world. And yes, it will introduce us to these twins of triumph and disaster. But there is a way, there's a way that to live that sees these imposters for who they are. And it's the way of faith in God's grace, not religion. And we're seeing it here already, like in my Bible on page three, right? In the first few pages of the Bible. It's helpful for me to think of it like this. No human triumph is ever going to be enough to win God's love. But no human disaster is ever enough to lose it. That's because that's, he loves us because he's good. And that's why triumph and disasters are imposters, frankly, because triumph promises a happiness that it can't deliver, and disaster threatens a misery that doesn't have to be when we're trusting in the grace of God. So in Genesis, we're seeing the gospel of grace unfold already. God is trying to give us this gift through these questions. He's cultivating, he's nurturing a longing in us for him and for his grace. The story continues. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? That's his third question. What have you eaten? Like, what have you taken in, accepted, regarded as true, important, valuable, good, nourishing? What have you placed your hope in? Oh, Miss Lemon, let me help you out. Oh, what are all these little plastic containers for? Are you pickling squirrel meat? Because I can lend you my skull presser. No, Kevin. I went to the new flagship compartment store on Fifth Avenue and got everything I need to get my life in order. There's a stacker thing to separate your junk mail from your humidifier catalogs, a thing you stick on your laptop that holds your keys, a round plastic deal that holds your shoes with a pocket for a photograph of what shoes are in there. I'm going to become wonderful. It's a new beginning, like a phoenix rising. (laughs) Or maybe this is going to be the worst day ever. 
we've all been there, right? It's so easy to see where other people are hiding, but it's difficult for us to see ourselves, like what it is we're hoping in. I'm a sucker for these infomercials. It's embarrassing, but true. I hate to say this up front. Fortunately, I can't see any of you the way this is lit, so I'll pretend I'm by myself. But um, I'll just, you know, turn on the TV, catch the scores on Sports Center, and I can't tell you how many times that ends with me frantically calling like 1-800-SUCKER to, to, to pay not 99 not even $79, but only $59.95 for it, you name it, whatever, okay? Now, I've had to admit this before, and this is good for me to admit it. I've actually owned three of these items, okay? And I'm not saying which three, all right? I'll let you, I'll let you try to guess. But anyone making a passionate case for a life-changing gizmo, pill, exercise, or idea, I'm in, and here's why. My friend Mike told me this one time. We all eat lies when our hearts are hungry. It's a good line. God is asking us, what are we eating up? Like, what are we hoping in that it can nourish us, that if, if we just get it or we own it, control it, understand it, I'll finally be enough and I can step out of hiding. Genesis goes on. The man said, the woman put you put here with me she gave me some fruit to eat and i ate it now don't miss what adam's saying it's something like god this is my translation you know now that i've really thought about it you've asked me some great questions here by the way um you're right this is a bad situation and all i can say is it was her fault <laughs> right and maybe he tacks on something like this and i hate to say it but you know she was your idea so when, when things go wrong, it's amazing how we not only hide, but we become victims and blamers just like that, right? Do you know that in some Jewish traditions, in the funeral, women enter first in front of the dead body as a reminder that death entered the world through women? It's true. Yeah. Now, who do you suppose came up with that idea, <laughs> right? It's men looking for someone to blame wow oh my gosh i would never i could never get away with that wow that idea but one writer a jewish writer actually puts it like this nothing accounts for jesus's unpopularity in history more than his insistence that you are your biggest problem yeah that's what these questions are also trying to show us so i believe this line she made me do it is in the bible so we all can read it laugh out loud at adam you fool and then in the same moment realize that every adam has an eve and every eve a serpent right but we can begin to trust in the grace of god who seeks us when we honestly consider these questions and the implications of these questions which brings us to our final question for this morning then god said what is this that you've done this is God's fourth question. When we're broke, when we're naked, when we're hiding, when we're stuffed full of the lies that we've, our hungry hearts have just eaten up and blaming everybody else for it, God seeks after us to love us at our worst, accept us as we are, to forgive us before we ask. And he asks us these pointed questions, questions that require us to stop and to really think about our lives and how we're living them. And then to consider it all, as we consider it all, hopefully we, we realize, what is this that you've done? 
is kind of God's way of saying, how's that working for you? When a man walks into a room, he brings his whole life with him. He has a million reasons for being anywhere. Just ask him. If you listen, I'll tell you how he got there. where he was going the night woke up if you listen he'll tell you about the time he thought he was an angel or dreamt of being perfect and then he'll smile with wisdom content that he realized the world isn't perfect we're flawed because we want so much more. We're ruined because we get these things and wish for what we had. Such a great line. We're flawed because we want so much. We're ruined because we get these things and then wish for what we had. What did we have that we lost when we hit? Well, it's this garden of God's presence. It's bursting with life. Now, Storyline is the last community where you are going to hear platitudes like we throw the Bible around and faith around like it's magic, like following Jesus is some kind of panacea. It just isn't true. The life of faith and God's grace is often a struggle. I think we admit that readily here, and often. It can be, like we talked about last week, it can be undignified at times. But to nurture that struggle, we must make space and time to hear God's questions for us. This is how we dance in the rain of God's grace by nurturing the willingness to trust that the struggle to face God's questions is good for us because God is good for us and life with him dancing in the downpour of his grace is the best way to live what does God do then when we are broke well he seeks us where we are as we are he asks us questions that cultivate self-awareness and nurture our longing for him and a hope in his grace. Like questions like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Or who told you you weren't good enough? Because it wasn't me. Questions like, what are you hoping in? And this last question we looked at this morning is, how's all that working for you? Now, all these questions are meant to draw us back, invite us to return to the life that we were made for in the garden of God's presence, a garden that is bursting with life.
and I. So, so good. So Jenna just, you know, hated to lose at anything. Still does. But she loved to lose at only one thing in her life. Hide and seek. 
She discovered very early on that to win that game meant you're all alone. To lose, to surrender, was to discover that you've been sought after, that you've been found, accepted, and loved. And ultimately, that is what we all want. It's what we all need because life, as it turns out, is one big ready or not, right? Every day could bring whatever. We just don't know. Every day asks us the question, you know, ready or not. And there's always that temptation to run and hide. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would realize and remember that God from the very beginning gets this about life. He gets this about, about us. And if we'll listen for his voice, we will hear him say, here I come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. Help us to hear your voice in our darkest places, in our most sophisticated hiding spots, to face your questions in spite of our religious answers, and give us courage and the faith to trust that you can and you have already found us. As we leave this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.